Take your Bibles and turn to Colossians, the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Book of Colossians, chapter 1, as we continue our series on the treasury of Christ. Um, This week I was reminded of why I love the Word of God so much, and um, it's because Every time I open the Word of God, um, there is nothing, no, no other book I've ever read that has exposed, diagnosed the condition of my heart, and then tell me how to address that condition. Now, you know, there's some of you that have read thousands upon thousands of books. I, I don't think I'm up there yet, but I've read enough to know that no other book compares to the Word of God. You, if, it doesn't matter to the book that you read. It could be psychology, it could be whatever, and those are really good books. But there is no book that is ever written by anyone that can tell you exactly the condition of your heart and then provide the remedy for it. No other book does that. I was reminded of that afresh today. Beloved, we have been gifted by God and His infinite wisdom to provide a book that tells you and describes the condition of your heart like nothing else can. And so when you pick up the Bible and you read it, you are exposed. You're exposed. But the good news is you're not only exposed, but at the same time, this book tells you how you can remedy all that ails you. Now, the Bible isn't a, a manual for how-to. There's sometimes you have to apply principles. But I hope you're reading this book on a regular basis. And I'm hoping that as you read it, you pray to the Holy Spirit to illumine those parts of your heart and mind that need addressing, and it will do that. Because there's no other book on the planet that does that. No book ever written that has done that. And I was reminded of that again afresh. Uh, do you all mind just turning me down a little bit? Um, for some reason, I seem a little bit louder than normal. And I'd appreciate that so much. Thank you. All right, with that little preamble, let's go to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 3 through 14. Hear now the word of the Lord. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing. As it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to you your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might 
for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Well, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Well, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the power of your word. As was mentioned earlier, there is nothing like your word. There is nothing that does a more thorough job of addressing the full scope of our emotions, the full scope of our intentions, the full scope of our desires. There's nothing. It exposes those things plainly. But at the same time, by your grace, your word also gives us truth that we can live by, truth that brings life. And so I pray that today for all of us, that as the message of the gospel is proclaimed, it will bring life, and not just life, but life more abundantly. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, we started a series on the book of Colossians on um, the preeminency of Christ, the fact that Christ is our greatest treasure and if Christ is our greatest treasure, if he's the one that, that should be the treasure of our hearts, then all treasures flow from him. And one of the things I made, I made a point of saying is that the Christian gospel, when you look at the Christian gospel, what is the Christian gospel at its core? The Christian gospel at its core is a message about the preeminency of Christ in our life that Christ is the most important thing, and therefore everything else flows from that. And as we began to talk about some of those blessings, one of the blessings that flow from that is that we are made, saints, uh, we are made saints. We're made saints of God. That even though we're sinners, at the same time we are made righteous, and that is what it means to be a saint. In fact, Paul goes on in uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Look at, it, uh, look at it for a moment. If you look at um, Colossians chapter 12, Paul further describes what a saint is. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us, um, qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. That word there, qualified, is a powerful word because the word literally means to make worthy. So what is a saint? A saint is someone who has been made worthy by God. It's someone who has been given infinite worth before the Lord. That's, that's you. That's all of us. We've been given infinite worth by God. You know, as someone who struggled all his life with thinking, am I worthy? Am I worth anything? And there's some of you inside here today, can, this resonates with you. Do we ever measure up? Are we ever good enough? Are we ever smart enough? Are we ever talented enough? Can, can God use us to do anything? 
the power of the gospel says yes, yes. Why is that the case? Because you have been made a saint. You've been made a saint. Now, again, you might be sitting there and you might be a little bit unconvinced. You might, you might say, well, Pastor Dennis, how do I know this to be true? Everything you're saying is awesome and amazing that I've been, I've been made a saint by God, that I've, I'm giving this infinite worth by God. How do you know that to be true? How do you know that to be accurate? Here's how I know it to be accurate. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. Look at the extravagance of the cross. Look at what it cost God to make you a saint. That's how you know. You know, I had a friend um, a while back. Uh, he was looking for a car, and he came to me, and he says, Dennis, I found a car. I said, that's great. And he said, yes, the car has cost $250. And immediately I said, two things is true. Number one, he got a sweetheart deal. Or number two, I'm going to have to help him push this down the road. Right? <laughs> Only those two things are true. And, and just so I, I get rid of all the expense, he did not get a really good deal. <laughs> and I eventually had to help him push that car down the road. Right? But, but see, we know this. We know this. We know... That if we pay little for something that's valued a lot, right, we're, we're not getting an accurate value. But when we look at the cross, when we look at what Jesus Christ has done for us, that is a sign of how much you are valued by God. That you have been given a value of infinite worth. Why? Because Christ died for you. Christ died for you. And Christ would not have died for you had you not been valuable to him. And so when we read in the word of God that we've been made saints, that should make all of us leap with joy. Why? Why? Because you've been made worthy. You've been made worthy. And because you've been made worthy, now you can walk and act as if you have life more abundantly because of the extravagance of the cross. Paul says it like this in Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's an argument from the greater to the lesser. God has given you the most valuable and, and important thing. That's his son, Jesus Christ. And it's through his death, burial, and resurrection, now you have been imbued with infinite worth and there is nothing else that he would withhold from you. There is nothing else he wouldn't give to you. There's nothing else that he can do for you. Because he's given, you all, given it uh, all to you. I'm reading through the book of Job. And I'm like, how does Job hold it together? He's lost his wife. Oh, sorry, not his wife. God, God kept her alive. Which is interesting. Which is interesting. I know. <laughs> Freudian slip there, <laughs> which has always been interesting to me. Uh, this is a bit of an aside, but you know when the Bible talks about um, a husband and wife being one flesh? I think that's why uh, Job's wife didn't get killed. Because remember when, when Satan was talking to God, God says, do everything, but don't harm him, right? And so God kept his wife alive, not to uh, torture him extra, but, but because he was one flesh with his wife, 
God kept him alive. That's, that's my interpretation of the text, and I think that's accurate. And that will also keep me out of trouble. <laughs> Point taken on that. But, but getting back to the text, right, which I've lost my mind now. I don't even know where I am. i got to look at my notes. It's, i got to round this up soon. It's getting going to get in all sorts of problems. Where was I? Where was I? Yes, the extravagance of the cross. The extravagance of the cross. Never forget that. I was reading the book of Job recently, and I kept asking myself, how does Job keep it together? How does Job keep it together? He's lost everything. He's lost his children. He's lost his property. He's lost all his goods. And yet in the midst of that, he remembers what God has done for him and his position with God. That's how he kept it together. He remembered who God made him. It's a powerful reality. So that's what we learned last week. Now, this week, we're going to look at the second treasure. And the second treasure is Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Having a heart of Thanksgiving. Now, if you're anything like me, I'm, I'm a classic person. I compartmentalize everything. Anyone like that? Anybody like that? I'm like that to a fault. I compartmentalize everything. And, and when I compartmentalize everything, I could tend to forget that all of the doctrines and all of the teachings of Christianity are meant to be held in tandem. In other words, they, they work together. But the reason why I say this is, uh, when you look at the book of Colossians, you notice that Thanksgiving factors heavily into this. And I know it's not November, it's February, but, but I need you to realize that Thanksgiving is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. In fact, if you are looking for a Bible study, study out, study out Thanksgiving, especially in Pauline writing. Now, I know the women are doing a Bible study on Philippians, and there's Thanksgiving in that, but, but venture out and go all through. You'll be amazed at the beauty and the wonder of Thanksgiving. We're going to talk about that today. And I'm going to, but the whole purpose of the day is for me to convince you to make Thanksgiving a regular part of your daily Christian walk. That's, that's the whole goal of today. And I'm going to be as, as brief and compact as I can because there's so much that I could talk about with this passage. So what I want to do as I look at this passage, I want to look at what Thanksgiving means. What does it mean? What does thanksgiving mean? That's the first thing. Why is it important? That's the second thing. And then third, some practical wisdom on thanksgiving. So what does it mean? Why is it important? And some practical wisdom on thanksgiving. All right, first of all, look at verse number three. Paul says this, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. The word that Paul uses here in verse number three, thanksgiving, is an interesting word. It, it, it's the Greek word, right? It's, it's like two words combined together. And it's eucharisteo. And the literal meaning is this. Good, you, grace. Charisteo, charis. You've probably, probably heard that word. If somebody's ne uh, name is charis, it's grace. And so what is thanksgiving then, according to what Paul is saying? Thanksgiving, when you and I give thanksgiving, thanksgiving is a response to the good grace of God. Thanksgiving is a response to the good grace of God. It's a response to what God has done for you, what God is doing in the world. That's thanksgiving. 
It is the dominant theme, not only of this book, but all of the New Testament, when you understand the power behind what Paul is saying. Thanksgiving is a description of the way we ought to live as Christians. It's certainly true in the book of Colossians. We're going to get to that. But I just want to take a step back and acknowledge that what does it mean to give thanks? It means that you and I are seeing the grace of God and how God is operational in our lives, and we're responding to it. That's what it means to be thank, uh, to, to have a heart of thanksgiving. Now, I want to talk briefly about what a heart of thanksgiving communicates, because that's important. That's super important for all of us. One commentator, and I so appreciate what he says here. He says this, and I don't want you to miss it. Because, look, this could be transformative for your life. Because it was for me as I was reading it. You know, sometimes you, you kind of hear some things about the gospel. Like all of us kind of, especially if we grew up in Christianity. I'm talking to the, you, uh, those people specifically. If you've grown up in Christianity, you've, oh, you've grown up hearing certain terms. Like gospel, like, like thanksgiving, like praise. But if somebody were to ask you, what are these things? You'd have a hard time explaining what they are in a very crisp way. So I want you to hear what is the value of thanksgiving? What does it communicate about your heart? One writer says this. Thanksgiving is a way to affirm the supremacy of God, the creator, and the mighty acts he has done on our behalf. So notice the first one. What is thanksgiving? What happens when, when we give thanks? What, do, the, what does it communicate? First of all, it, it communicates the supremacy of God. Notice in verse number three, Paul says, we give thanks to God. When we give thanks to God, we're communicating his supremacy over all of our lives. We're communicating that it's because of God we have all that we have and no one else. Notice Paul doesn't say, I thank Epaphras for what he's doing in the lives of the church at Colossians. No way. He's thanking God. God is the supreme reference of all his thanksgiving. So often I hear on television someone say, I'm thankful. And I'm like, okay, you're thankful, but to who? Because if you're just thankful and your reference isn't God, then God isn't supreme and you are. Do you see how that works? And so to give thanks, according to Paul, is in reference to the supremacy of God, but it's also something else. The, the author here says that not only is it the supremacy of God, but his mighty acts he has done on your behalf. On your behalf. What does it mean? Here's what it means. When we are thankful to the Lord, we communicate something about the goodness of the Lord. It communicates something about the goodness of your God. It communicates that God has been good to you and God has been good to the people around you when you give thanks. That's why it's so important for God's people to give thanks. Because it says something about our God. I... I Several years ago, I was in a group of Christians, and we were just talking about just our week. This is many years ago, and, and I just remember this stood out to me. We were all in a circle. We were talking about our, our week, what was going on in our life, and when I left, I felt more depressed than when I came. 
Now look, look, I, I want to be very careful here because this is important. This is so important. I'm not saying deny the bad things that are going on in your life. Because that's not what Thanksgiving is, and we'll get to that in a moment. But there's a sense in which when you and I talk about who God is, we need to be careful that we're thanking God for what he has given us and what he's done in our life because we could communicate that God is not good. There's a risk in us being unthankful. We could communicate that God is not good to us and not good, uh, not as good uh, with the people around us. That, that's so critical when it comes to Thanksgiving and being a thankful person because it shows the inclination of our heart. Is our heart inclined to see the blessing of the Lord in our lives at all times? It's a way of conditioning our heart to show the supremacy of the Lord. So that's, why, that's what Thanksgiving is. Thanksgiving is a response to the good grace that God has given us. Second thing is why do we need to be thankful? Why do we need to be thankful? Paul actually tells us in this passage, but you, but you have to like pay attention to what Paul is saying. Notice with me, um, Paul gets a report from Epaphras. And what is the report? Look at verse number 21 of Colossians chapter, 20, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse number 21. He gets a report from Epaphras. And the report is this, that there was a group of people who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That was the initial report that he got. Here were a group of people that were wicked, that were doing awful things. But now, if you look at verse number 12, uh, Epaphras told them that these people who were once alienated and, and apart from God, they began to, uh, Paul says, he give thanks because now Christ has qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. And he has delivered these people from the domain of darkness and transferred them into the kingdom of his beloved son. Now notice, notice the arc of this story. The arc of this story is that these were people who were once sinners, alienated from Christ. Now all of a sudden, Paul says, they are believers. They've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Literally, they were forcibly taken out of their sinful condition and brought into a time in which now they're praising and giving God. Now notice what Paul says again in verse number 3 in response to that. Paul says, I thank the Lord. Why? In verse number 4. Since I've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard from in the word of truth, the gospel. So what does Paul say here? This is so important. Paul is saying this, look, I've, I've heard about what God has done in your life, how you now have faith, how you now have hope, and how, how now you're loving people. And in response to that, what do I do? I give thanks. Paul right here is showing us how our hearts need to be trained to give thanks to the Lord. And that's needful for us. There's a song, um, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, written by Ro um, Robert Robinson right around the 1900s. And he, there's this line in the text that I think is so powerful in understanding what Paul is doing here. It says, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Do you see what he says? 
tune my heart to sing thy grace. What does thanksgiving do? Thanksgiving is a way of tuning our hearts to see the grace of God. That's why Paul, when he heard about what Epaphras was doing in the church of uh, Colossians, his heart leapt with thanksgiving. His heart exploded with thanksgiving. Why? Because his heart had been tuned to hear the grace of God and the power of God. Now, you might say, well, Pastor Dennis, that's great. But what does that have to do with us? Here's what that has to do with you. It is very dangerous to have a heart that has not been tuned to thanksgiving. It's very dangerous to have a heart that isn't constantly waiting and seeing the goodness and the grace of God. Let, let me give you a practical example. And this might sound a little silly, but it's true, right? Uh, I think many of you know I play disc golf. And I love playing disc golf. I don't play as much now, but I used to play disc golf. And I've only hit two people in my entire life. <laughs> only two. Um, and both of them were children. <laughs> and, and both of them were in the head. Uh, it gets worse. And both of them were at a birthday party. Okay? And, and let me explain, because this, so <laughs> this is so important. This is so important. Where I played disc golf, when I lived in Pensacola, there was an open area where they would throw birthday parties all the time. And, and it was right next to the disc golf course. I don't know who designed this course. That's a bad idea, right? But what, what started happening was, as they throw these birthday parties, they, you know, kids would get their toys, and, and they would give them their toys. And for some reason, these kids would absolutely freak out that they did not get the toy that they wanted. And on both occasions, on both occasions where I threw my disc and inadvertently hit these young children, and it was inadvertent, the kids absolutely freaked out because they didn't get the toy that they wanted. I mean, they started yelling and screaming and spitting at their, at their parents, you know, like, ah, you're stupid, ah, I didn't get what I want. And then they started running. And when they ran, they ran right into the path of where I was throwing my disc. And in the providence and mercy of God, I was used as this instrument for righteousness in these kids' heads. And look, you, you, should have been, you, you ought to have been there, because even in telling the story, you wouldn't believe me, I have verifiable proof, unfortunately, that this happened, right? And in both times, I threw my disc, and, and just as they were running, and boom. And, and eventually, it became a joke. When we saw people having party, they would say, hey, Dennis, get ready to throw your disc. A kid's freaking out, right? But, but why were those kids freaking out? Why did these kids get hit with my disc twice? Because those children failed to see the goodness of what the Lord had given them. You know, okay, yes, that's, that's a simple example of two little kids getting hit by a disc because they miss the goodness of the Lord, the goodness of their parents towards them. But this could actually have tremendous impact on our lives spiritually. In fact, in, in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 15, verse number 10, Jesus talks about the Pharisees. And in that story, he says that the Pharisees, right, when they saw the grace of God and the goodness of God within their community, 
They didn't acknowledge that. And instead, Jesus said to them that there's more joy in heaven over one sinner repenting than almost anything else. The Pharisees completely missed that, right? Why? Why did they miss that? Because their hearts were not tuned to see the grace of God. Look, Thanksgiving isn't just something we do in November. Thanksgiving isn't just something we do casually. It's a way of life where we see the goodness of the, of the Lord in every area of our life. And when we miss that, we develop a heart of ingratitude. We end up being like those little children yelling and screaming at God every time something happens when we don't get what we want. And then we end up running like wild people. And then some godly young man takes his disc and throws it and smacks us right in the head. As God's way of reminding all of us of the importance of being thankful. That's what Paul is doing here. Paul says, I thank God when I heard about what God is doing in your life. It's a response to grace. It's a powerful reminder and a wonderful response to grace. And also, at the same time, it reveals the heart of God. You know, when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees, a lot of times we think Jesus had this adversarial relationship with the Pharisees. I mean, in some sense, yes, but you could, you could see his yearning, the yearning in the text where he's saying, don't you see? Don't you see what I'm doing? Don't you see how prostitutes are coming to me? Tax collectors are coming to me? Sinners, people who were once sinful, alienated in their minds. Don't you see how they're all coming to me? Why can't you rejoice to that? And they're looking at him saying, we don't have hearts of thanksgiving. Christian, don't you see? Don't you take spiritual inventory to see the goodness of God in your life? Don't you ever stop and be reminded that God has blessed you with a wonderful spouse, or if he hasn't blessed you with a spouse, wonderful friends, wonderful family? Don't you pause and consider the goodness of the Lord? Or are sometimes are we pastoral children who just want what we want from the Lord? No, P Paul is saying uh, that, that this is the goodness of the Lord. Now, for the sake of time, I, I want to give you some practical wisdom about Thanksgiving. And, and I'll limit it to just two, okay? So here's some practical wisdom for Thanksgiving. The first is this. Thanksgiving is completely compatible with where you are in life. You know, sometimes we think, in order for us to truly give thanks to the Lord, everything has to be going okay in our life? No. How do you know this, Pastor Dennis? Look at Paul. Where is Paul here when he's writing this letter to the, uh, to the Colossians? He's in prison. He's in prison. And look, the prison that they have, that they didn't get three square meals a day. You didn't have cable and free health care. An education. It's not how it works. Paul was in a deep prison, barely saw anybody, cold, tired, frustrated. And here he hears about what Epaphras is doing, and he gives thanks. 
100% you can give, thank in, give thanks in any situation, regardless if you're happy or sad or frustrated or angry. Remember, it conditions your heart to see the goodness and the mercy of the Lord. That's what thanksgiving does. It's not incompatible with being all of those things. And Jesus is the model of this. What did Jesus do right before he went to the cross? Anybody remember? I'll tell you what he did. He had a meal with his disciples, and they sang the Hallel song. Praise. Thanksgiving. Right before he went to the cross. That's the power of thanksgiving. That it transcends all of our deepest, darkest situations. And that it causes us to pause and say, God, you are good, you are merciful, and therefore I will thank you for it. One last thing. What does thanksgiving do? Or what, this one, I phrased it in a negative. I want to be very clear here. Thanksgiving is not a form of escapism. You know, some people sometimes, they'll say, you know, I'm too blessed to be stressed. Now, I'm not making fun of those people. I'm just, I'm just pointing out that sometimes people say that. But, but sometimes we can say that as if to deny that there's no problems in our lives. No, no, no. Thanksgiving isn't a form of escapism. We don't, we don't give thanks to avoid the hard things in the world. That's not what Thanksgiving is. So often I hear people say that Christianity is opiate for the masses. That's not true. Sadly, in our society, opiates have become opiates of the masses. And we grieve for that. But that's not Christianity. Christianity, on when we give thanks to God, that is the highest form of realism. Paul isn't denying where he is when he gives thanks. Paul isn't looking at the church of Colossia and saying, hey, all the struggle and strife that you're experiencing in the world now, it won't matter if you give thanks. That's not what he's saying. Thanksgiving at its heart is a form of realism because Thanksgiving at its heart says, look at what God is doing. Look at how God is acting in our lives. Far from being an irrational move to give thanks, it is eminently rational and eminently biblical. Now, what's the big takeaway? Big takeaway is simply this. Cultivate a heart of thanksgiving. I'll encourage you to do this. I've, I've started doing this on a regular basis. Is For at least one month, commit to finding three things to be thankful for every day. And just write it down. And it could be the same thing every time. But commit to it. Because see, what Paul is doing here is he's shaping his heart and his mind to see the grace of God. And that's what all of us need to do. That's what all of us need to do. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the power of your grace. We thank you for the fact that you have given us this wonderful tool to remind us of your goodness and grace toward us. And that's thanksgiving. It shapes our hearts. It tunes our hearts, as the hymn writer says, to see your power. Lord bless us. We're, we're needy people. We love you. We want to serve you. But we need the power of your grace to help us to do so. Help us to remember the treasury of thanksgiving and help us to apply that to our lives daily. In Jesus' name, amen.